Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. And that's reaching the lost for Christ. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why uh, me and uh, Pastor Chris actually became friends. Um, well, actually, the real reason is fishing. But besides that, um, and pizza. So I guess those two things we have in common before anything with Jesus. And so um, it was, I think I've known Chris for about 10 to 12 years. And so uh, we both kind of come from the same church that planted us. And so Emmanuel Christian Center was, was the plant here. Um, and then also that's where I came from. And so we kind of became friends as that process started. Um, and I think you guys are like six years in, is that right? About six years. And so what happened was, is Chris came to me one day and he said, you know, he's going to plant a church. And I just kind of chuckled and I said, well, have fun, um, because it's a lot of work. You guys know that. Um, what I didn't know is that God was starting to stir in me, um, about planting the church. And so, uh, a little bit about me is I am a kids pastor at heart. Um, and so if I call you kids or if I say something, I'm sorry. Um, I won't do any magic tricks today. I won't do any of that kind of stuff. Um, we may hand out goldfish crackers later, but that's just what we do. Um, so what, what happened with, with me is, is I got to know Chris and, and he planted the church and, and I started to watch it and I went, wow, I, I could not believe the impact that planting a church in a new community does. Um, and so coming from a big church, what you realize is, is you kind of have everything at your fingertips where you can, you need something or you, or you need a volunteer and they're there. Um, when you plant a church, that's not the same. And so what, what God does is he starts to work in you and mold you, and then he puts friends in your life to mentor you and, and, and to be just powerful friends. And so that's Pastor Chris to me. He's one of those guys where now that we're planting, we're about a year and a half in in East Bethel. Um, he's just one of those guys that I can come to, and we can talk about everything. We can, we can share everything, and, and we can do ministry together. And so uh, when I was with him on Wednesday, we were having lunch. Um, we try to meet every week, and as soon as we were done eating lunch, his sister texted him and said, hey, you need to come on up. And so um, I, there's very, very few things that, that a congregation can do for a pastor um, because if you, if you I, I don't know if Chris is very open with you guys about life, but when, when, when you're pastoring a church, you don't really know who your friends are. Does that make sense? And so as a pastor you have to be able to guard yourself, but yet you have to be able to be real with people. And so one of the things that I can ask you to do for Chris is don't expect him to confide in you or to be open with you during this process. But what you can do is just be for, be there for him um, through prayer. Um, and then as a church, be there to volunteer. Be there to be the church like you guys are. Those are the two things that you can do for Chris during this time. One of the things that... Um, I wrestled with when Chris texted me. He said, hey, can you cover for me Sunday? Um, and my, the, my first instinct was, okay, don't take this wrong way. I don't like to preach. Okay, don't take that wrong. Don't leave today. My first instinct was, oh, man. Yeah, I suppose. And then I realized, you know how many times over the last two months I've told him, hey, Chris, anything you need, I'm there for you. Anything you need, I'm there for you. And then I had this check in my spirit when I actually had that thought and went, oh, well, this is what I can do for Pastor Chris. This is what I can do. I, I can't be there for him and hug him because that's just weird. I can't be there and, you know, cuddle him and say everything's going to be okay. I can't do that. Uh, but I can be here for stuff like this for Chris. And so um, 
I am a open book. Um, I am a introvert slash extrovert. And so um, when Chris kind of told me um, that, that, that your church has a little bit more lively worship, um, it excites me because our church tends to be a little bit on the uh, conservative side. Um, and so I love a little bit more upbeat. And so uh, today was exciting. It was fun. And so I just, I, you guys may not think it's upbeat, but it is. Yeah, you'd be surprised going in smaller towns churches don't have drums they don't have guitars that's a guitar they don't have that kind of stuff and so it's exciting to see a lively um god-fearing church and that that's what excites me so um my sermon today um is going to be why god wanted hillary to win i'm just kidding okay so now i got your attention now that i got your attention here um it actually would be a fun sermon but i don't know all right I'm going to be in Romans for most of the day. Um, Chris told me to keep it short, um, and I told him that is not hard for me. I'm not a long-winded preacher. What I, what I, what I love to do is I, I'm a practical person, uh, and I love to draw out scriptures, and I love to make it real because to me there's nothing worse than going somewhere, listening, and going, well, how can I apply that tomorrow? I, I, what, what did I do? I could have just sat home and listened to the radio. So I'm going to be talking uh, a, a little bit about a word called beg. Have you ever begged for anything? Have you ever had a kid beg you for something? It can be either the most annoying thing in the world, or if they're cute, <laughs> it can be the cutest thing in the world. But when someone begs for something, it can, it, can, it can just go on and on and on and on and on and on, and this kid does not understand what he's asking for, or if you want something really bad, you're just going to keep going after it, you're going to keep asking for it. Well, um, the other word that also is used in the Bible that matches beg is beseech. And so it means to strongly urge um, or to beg. And so if you were to strongly urge something, um, that's where I'm going to sit in a little bit of Romans, where that's what Paul is doing to the church at this time. He is asking and he is begging the church to do certain things. Um, number one is this is what Paul begged the Christians to be living sacrifices. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. When I was a kid or when I would teach a verse like this to kids, I would always go home and I would get all these phone calls that said, Pastor, um, you taught my kids about being a sacrifice. Now they think you're going to kill them. And so it's even comical how we don't understand sometimes between the Old Testament and the New Testament. A sacrifice in the Old Testament is totally different than what we consider a sacrifice in the New Testament. A sacrifice then was you would literally bring an animal um, to the front of an altar. Could you imagine who in here has animals or pets? Could you imagine coming into the temple or to the church, bringing in your favorite dog or your horse, or back then it would have been goats or lambs or sheep, or, and bringing it up here, this is your best and this is your favorite animal. And you're going to say, okay, God, I'm going to sacrifice it. I'm going to give it to you. We're going to kill it on the altar. That way I can show you I love you. That would be weird. But that's what happened. The Bible is, if it's made into a movie, most of us couldn't watch it because there's some crazy, crazy stories. And the stuff that they do make, it's, it's intense. And so 
when he's asking us, he's begging us to be a living sacrifice, what happens is, is Jesus then says, I'm going to take over. God sent me. I'm going to be a new sacrifice. I'm going to die for you. That's what our faith is based on. Now, we don't have to bring in those sacrifices like we used to have to. We don't have to do that anymore. Now, it's almost like God made it too easy for us. It's almost to the point where it's too easy. Where now, we don't have to do that act. Now, Jesus died for us, for our sins, and now we can just say, you know what? Sunday morning, God, I messed up. Sorry. Forgive me. And we move about our day. Now, if you're like me, there's times where I have a powerful Sunday and it's just, it changes my world. And then there's other Sundays where I just come in and I, I do the motions and I go through it and it doesn't change much in my heart. Well, what Paul here is he's begging us, is he's begging us to be a living sacrifice. He's begging us to take place what Jesus did. He's begging us to be a living sacrifice. Take our life and live it for him. Be in a spot, be in a place where everyone around us or around us knows that we live for Jesus. It's so easy to leave from a sermon. It's so easy to leave from something that hits you on the radio to just walk away and go, yeah, someday I'll do that. Someday I'll live that way. Paul is begging us to do that. Because of the mercy we have received, that is why. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In order to have mercy... You have to understand that there's somebody more powerful and greater than you. There has to be an understanding of what mercy means. Um, is anyone in here willing to be a volunteer to play the mercy game? Right, anyone. All right, come on up. This is what I want you to do. I want you to scour the crowd, and I want you to pick your opponent. <laughs> All right. All right, so face each other so the crowd can see you. And I want you to both put your hands up in the air and face the crowd. Just with your hands. Show your hands to the crowd. Typically in the game of mercy, the person with the biggest hands, and there's two females up here, so I'm not going to talk about anything other than hands. Okay? Typically that person is going to win. So you could have a person that could be five feet tall facing somebody who's eight feet tall, but the person with the bigger hands or the stronger forearms is going to win. Okay? Now, if it was up here with a kid, the kid is always going to think he's win because he thinks he's more powerful than anyone. So, the, right? Kids, it doesn't matter who they're, they're going to face Andre the Giant. They think they're going to win. That's just how they work. Okay, so this is what you guys are going to do. I'm going to give you about 10 seconds to play the game of Mercy. You guys know how this works. Sure? You've never played Mercy? Wow. Okay, so you, yep, and you put your hands together, and then what you have to do is the other person has to get your other arm around it up to the point where you say mercy or you say uncle. So, yes. That's how I played it. There's, there's lots of different versions. Basically, don't no, no hitting each other. No, that's actually part of my story in a little bit. Uh, you can use your leg power, yes. So basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to get them around and up to where, they, where their arm is locked and you say mercy. I can't believe you never played Mercy. This actually helps. This is cool. All right. I'm going to give you 10 seconds because I don't want a lawsuit. All right. On your mark. Get set. 
Go. Five seconds. Three, two, one. Okay, stop. Okay, so this is what would happen. This, you had the same, yes, yes. You picked the right person for this, but it really messed with my illustration. That's okay. <laughs> I will give you guys two seconds, that's it. <laughs> so this is what happens in this mercy. You guys would go on and on and on and on and on and playing, and what would eventually happen? You'd cry. One of you would give up. All right, thank you. You guys can sit down. What, yes, give them a hand. What happens in the game of mercy uh, when they pick the right partner is that somebody would actually start literally crying and they would yell, Mercy! Um, in my family, it was called uncles because our uncles were mean to us. And they would make us play mercy with them before we could eat dinner. And I still, but the best part is now, is now we can take them. And so some of my uncles are, you know, they're in the 50s, 60s. Um, and so I could take my dad until about five years ago. My dad is a, you know, he's a big guy. He's, he's actually probably been around here. Some of you guys have seen him. Um, and we could take him. And it took a while for us to finally realize that it was all about strength. It wasn't about age. It wasn't about anything. It was all about strength. When there's mercy involved, there always has to be a higher power or somebody who can give the mercy to a weaker person. And so um, because of that, because of that purpose and that point, that is why Paul is begging us because Paul knows that Christ Paul knows that God is stronger than us, he's greater than us, and the mercy comes from him. What we do is we forget that. And we go into this mercy match with Jesus, and we want to wrestle with him, and we go, I got this. It's my way. But what we don't realize is, is God can just stand there, and he can just flick his wrist and do whatever he needs to do to control us. And that's what we think he's doing, is controlling us. But he's not controlling us. He's challenging us. He's training us. He's, he's morphing us into something that he wants us to be. The next thing that Paul did is he begged Christians to join him in prayer. Um, Romans 15.30 says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. One of my favorite things to do is to creep people out at gas stations. Have you ever watched those videos where, it is, it's true, I, I, I'll explain why. Have you ever seen those videos where you get to a gas station and it's a live video and they're talking to the person? Um, the reason why I love those videos and why I like creeping people out of gas stations is because they can't leave. They're pumping their gas and you have about one minute of their undivided attention. You guys realize this? They can't go anywhere. So one of my favorite things to do is to strike up a conversation and it could go as simple as this. What you doing? And they kind of look at me, and they're like, I'm pumping gas. And I'm like, oh, yeah, me too. And so just breaking the ice with them typically gets them to a smile and gets them to some type of point where you can just start talking. And most of the time, after you do something stupid like that, now, that's my personality. If that's not yours, I'm not going to call you out on that and say, you need to reach people at, at gas stations. That's not what I'm saying. What I love to do is I love to strike up conversations because you'd be shocked at how many people will stand there and talk at a gas station for five to ten minutes because 
What are they doing while they're pumping gas? They're thinking. They're pondering. They're probably in a hurry to go somewhere. They're on their way to work, whatever. This is a time to pause. There's no other distractions. Nowadays, a lot of people are on their phone. Um, is anyone on their phone right now? Okay, good. There's a, there's a point where there's, there, it's, it's undivided attention. They're pumping their gas. Most people are standing there, and I want you to think about this in your life. When you're pumping your gas, what are you doing? You're thinking, you're, you're praying, or there's something that's bothering you that you're, that you're walking through. And it's one of those times to where um, I love to ask them people questions. Like, you know, well, what are you going to do today? Lots of times people have a trailer. Um, have you guys seen the movie Dumb and Dumber? And um, I think, no, it's, it's not Dumb and Dumber. It's the other one where he's, um, he's in the limo and he's driving somebody to the airport. And he, is that Dumb and Dumber? And he, he gets in and he goes, why are you going to the airport? You flying somewhere? And it's those dumb questions where, where you can do that with people. Let's say they have a boat behind their, their, their truck, and you go, hey, you taking it to the lake? Yeah, I am. But what happens is, is when you break the ice in silly forms, they open up. They instantly think, hey, this guy maybe wants to talk. Maybe some people, I've had a few people that will just ignore me, and that's okay. And then that's when I get creepy, and I just kind of stand there and stare at them. And then... It's kind of like Impractical Jokers. It's kind of like that show. So there's just some fun things. But this is what happens. And try this sometime if you're willing. What will typically happen at the end of a conversation, it'll either go to a great spot where we're actually having a five-minute talk where just about life. It could be anything. Um, or it turns to have a great day, see you later. The fun ones for me is when I see them the next day at the same gas station and they approach me. And then that's when I go, okay, maybe this person is ready for prayer. Now you go, Pastor Tim, you just pray for strangers? Yeah. Do you know that the statistic is this? Almost 90% of people, that if you ask them, can I pray for you? After you break the ice with them, they will say yes. This is what I have to believe. I am not a powerful person. I have no strength in God except through him. I can't get into a person's life without him. I can't do it. I could go on and on and on and on and on, and I could try to help people, and I could try to do all this stuff. But if I don't invite God into the mix, if I don't listen to this verse, then it's pointless. If I don't pray, if I don't invite God in, nothing's going to happen. Now, there's times, yes, where I've had great conversations and somebody comes to church and, you know, long down the line. When you invite God in, everything changes. And it's as simple as, dear Lord, I thank you for my friend Pete. His mom is struggling with this or this or his son is this and this. I pray that you bless him. I pray that you heal him in Jesus' name. Amen. It's something that simple. And what it does is it tells that person, it tells the lost, hey, someone cares. Do you know that most people that either act up or road rage or kids that are in trouble or whatever, do you know what they're doing? They're struggling with something. And so being a kids pastor, one of my jobs was, was to take those kids that were acting up and just hear their story, just listen to them. As Christians, I think what we forget is what Paul here is begging us to do. He is begging us to join me in my struggle 
by praying to God for me. This is what happened to me, is that people were praying for me and walking through things with me and helping me. And what I found myself doing is I would have a brother or sister in Christ or I'd have somebody who um, I didn't know who knew Christ. They would, they would say something like, hey, would you pray for me? Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Okay, see you later. And I realized, why, why not pray for them right there? Why not in that moment, why not pray for them right there? They're actually asking. But we get so, what am I going to say? Or what if I mess up? Or what if, what if nothing happens? Or what, I'm going to look silly. Who cares if you look silly, right? Paul is begging us to pray. So my challenge for myself was, I'm going to change that. Now, I, I'm an extroverted person, but then I love to go home and be quiet, and I love to eat by myself and all that. But the extroverted part in me would get tired and would get worn out. And then when people would ask you that, you'd be surprised how many people in your life say, hey, man, can you pray for me? And then you keep talking about something else that day, and then you move on and you don't actually pray for them. So I've started putting Post-it notes in my truck to pray for people, and I've started trying to pray for people instantly. Now, does that make me a better person than I was? No, but it, what it does is it makes me intentional to answering the call of God. That's our role as Christians is to answer that call for the other people in our lives. The next thing that Paul um, begged Christians to mark, um, to do, and this is what you guys have to do with me today, is, is he wants you to mark and avoid false teachings and false prophets. Oh, don't mark me, that's not what I'm saying. But you guys have to understand and know you've never heard me before. You don't know me. You don't know my story. One of the first things I do when I walk into a place is I case out the joint. It sounds like I'm a criminal, but that's what I do. Who else does that? When you walk in, you kind of look at the place and see, okay, what's going on? Who's, who's talkative? Who's not? Who's kind of standing over there going, you know, they're, they're trying to see who you are. And then, you know, I'm a, I like to stand in the back. I like to view everything. I like to see what's around me. I like to see um, what people are doing. One of the things that Paul, and I believe that, so this was written for the, for the church back then, okay? But what happens is, is all of this stuff, all scripture, all instruction is for us now today. And so even though this was written, and this is one of the hard things that people don't understand who aren't Christians, they say, well, the Bible was for then. Well, even though this was written for the church back then who was struggling, we have to take this now and we have to put this into place. Today, I believe that we are in a spot where there are false teachings and there are false prophets everywhere. Um, a lot of people are calling out church leaders. Um, I am going to be very, very, very careful in my heart to call out church leaders because of this. Just because maybe one church is doing it a little bit differently or a different style does not mean that they're necessarily false teaching. What we're talking about as false teaching is, is you have to go into your heart. You have to know and you have to go, you know what? This guy is off. There's just something in my spirit, there's something in my check that is just off. It's more than just a church saying, we're going to reach people at all costs short of sin. Some people don't agree with that. They're going to say, we're going to have, you guys ever do giveaways here? You know that some people think that if you do that, you go to hell? <laughs> I don't believe that. I think there's tons of different ways that you can reach people for Christ. I think there's tons of different ways. When it's coming to false teaching and false prophets, you have to understand and know, Paul is begging and he's urging the church, don't fall into the temptation. Don't fall into the understanding of knowing that everything is true and everything is right. 
what is the, one of the things that the devil does the most? He presents it as good. He presents it as powerful, as this awesome opportunity, and then he twists it and he turns it. He's a snake. That's what he does. And so it's our job. Paul is begging us to make sure that we are avoiding false teachings and false prophets, and we are to mark them. We are to notice them. We are to, you read a book, and what do you do on a page you want to go back to and read? You earmark it. We need to earmark those people. We need to watch them. We have to. You got, now you got me thinking I said something funny. Yo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've never read a book, so I don't know. I wouldn't know that. Paul's begging this to mark those troublemakers. On the other hand, we are then also to mark the good. We are supposed to walk in and go, okay, I want to follow this person. I want to be mentored by this person. I want to be around this. So in the same way it's bad, the same way you turn it on for good. Um, then the question for this is why? Why do we need to make sure that we as the church watch and mark for false teachings and false prophets? To stop sin. The spread of sin starts in a church when there becomes false teachings. When there's wrongdoings, when there's, when there's not the gospel being preached, and that's one of the reasons why I love Pastor Chris, is we're, we're gospel preachers. We love the gospel. There is no other way to heaven through Jesus. In order to stop that, in order to stop sin, we the church have to find it, we have to see it, and we have to call it out. Now that's not saying... I'm going to stand up on Sunday morning during worship and go over to Billy and say, Billy, I saw you doing this. You're sinning. Stop it. That's not what I'm talking about. Now, there are complete, if you want to read through, um, instructions of how to handle all of that. But as a church, we need to be aware. Uh, and I'm going to leave that up to Pastor Chris. That is not my role here. <laughs> but we need to be aware of that is the church and that is our job of how we handle that and how we do um, deal with sin in the church. Um, the next thing that Paul begged Christians is, is to be united in Christ. One of the ways that we become ununited is some of those previous things, is through sin, is through false teachings and all that stuff that, that creates a, a barrier between us and God. We have to mark out um, those patterns of who we want to follow. We have to be able to um, look at a situation. We have to be able to look at uh, the progress we want to make. And we have to say, if I want to be at stage D... I have to first realize, what are all of those steps I want to get to? What are all those things? And by, by Paul begging us to do this, we have to be united. Um, we have to have a worthy walk. Uh, we have to have worthy attitudes. We have to put all these things into place where we can say, okay, yes, I'm going to put forth this effort, and I'm going to try. I'm going to try to live a life worthy of what Christ wants. And then the last thing uh, that I want to stick on here just a little bit is, is imitation. One of the things that God does is, or that Paul is begging Christians here to do, is he's begging us to imitate him, capital H. Um, who in here likes ketchup? I love ketchup. And about two years ago, it was July 7th, McDonald's decided to change their ketchup. Yes, I know the day. Um, it's the day I stopped eating french fries at McDonald's. There is only one brand of ketchup. What? It, what? 
there's the, he's not a ketchup lover. If you, other than him, there is one brand of ketchup. The only brand that I will eat is Heinz. That is, if, that is the only brand to eat. <laughs> there, there is only, hey, I love that. My church, we, we have people talking all the time. I love it. There's only one brand. And so what McDonald's did is they changed the brand. I don't even know what it is now. Um, I think it's Hunt's. And so they watered it down. They added it. It's just not the same. Have you ever... Uh, okay, I'm a Mountain Dew drinker. Anyone a Mountain Dew drinker? Have you ever been to Aldi? They have Mountain Thunder. It's not the same. Mountain Dew, you cannot mess with it. You can, just name it something else and do it something different. If, if you're going to buy this because you want to save money... Save money somewhere else. Don't buy your kids clothes next month. Mountain Dew is Mountain Dew, okay? You cannot have an imitation Mountain Dew. Dr. Pepper, same thing. Aldi has a thing, and it's called Dr. Thunder. Come on. It's not Dr. Pepper. It's an imitation. I, I can't handle it. Now, for some of you older folks in here, and I'm not going to say what that age break is, do you guys know what, I have it written down here because I didn't even know this was true. They're called fruit spins. You know what those are? Somebody came out with those to compete with Fruit Loops. Why? Why not just come up with something different? All of these imitation things, they don't taste the same. They're not real. But this is, this is the problem. Paul begged Christians to imitate him. And the reason why there's imitations out there because everybody wants to be like the real thing, but they're not willing to put in the cost and the price of the real thing. And so if we're going to imitate him, if we're going to imitate Jesus, there is no denying the fact that it's going to cost more. Do you know that Heinz ketchup costs more than the other ketchup? It's because it's better. It's because it's real. It's because it's good. It's because it actually works. Same thing when you go into a doctor's office or a Walgreens. There's the NyQuil that's $47, okay, just for one ounce. And then next to it is the Walgreens brand. Now, disclaimer, some of it does work just as good. But this other brand is 10 ounces for $17. Why is there all this imitation out there? It's because they know that the real thing works, but they're not willing to put in the cost to do the real thing. I cannot, I cannot beg you enough to ask yourself this question. Am I imitating him? Am I looking at all this stuff that Paul begged us to do? Am I imitating him or am I imitating the world? So as the worship team is going to do another song here, and as you leave today, well, I want to leave you with this statement. If there's someone in your life that is begging you to do something, and they're a positive role model, if there's somebody like Paul, or if they're a firm believer in your life, if they're begging you to do something, will you listen? Will you adhere to that call? And will you understand and know that it's our job to imitate him? This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week.
Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.